reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they watched the game. It'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Yes, Bob. Hey, you got a song for us, Bob, off the top? Oh, man, just all kinds of bad songs came into my head. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Sometimes the cold open freezes the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Why does that happen? Every bad song I've ever heard in my life came to mind right in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) The song that always comes to mind for me is like songs from video games. The song that came to mind when I said that was da 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 Do you know that one? Yeah, I do. Um, gosh. Yeah, it's got to be Punch Out. Yeah, I think it is. It must be. For some reason, I yeah wanted to say it wasn't that, but it's got to be. Anyhow. Uh, Bob, did you know that yesterday, or sorry, not yesterday, that this week, um, starts the month that's called Hispanic Heritage Month in the United States? Yep. It's, it's, for some reason it starts on September 15th and then it goes all the way through October 15th. And while I am a huge fan of alliteration, I do feel like it's a funny name, partially because like Mexican Independence Day, I believe is the 18th. And then like Guatemalan and Honduras Independence Day are like the day after that. And it's all Independence Day from Spain, which is like a funny thing to have for Hispanic Heritage Month to name it Hispanic. But yeah, I'm kind of excited about it this year. Anything planned? Uh, yeah, I've been, de- we've been developing some curriculum to do some like celebratory stuff around it, especially Mexican independence day. Um, but yeah, one of my coworkers is, is going to make some flan and I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, other than that, we're reading a, a book 
that is like a pretty awesome book about like a children's book about um, it's called La Frontera. It's about the the journey from, or maybe it's El Viaje de la Frontera. And it's about the journey from Mexico to the U.S. And it's like one kid's true story. Last week we, we read a really awesome book called Separate is Never Equal about a young girl named Sylvia Mendez in 1944, California. And it dealt a lot with like, you know, it's pre- Brown versus the Board of Education, but it was like Mendez versus the California Supreme Court or something like that. Um, and just like integrating schools in California, which came before Brown v. Board. So yeah, it was a good book. That's awesome. I'd love to take this moment to open things up a bit and ask you two questions here. One is... Talk about your, your majoring in Spanish in college and how okay. that's helped you get to where you are and doing exactly what you're doing, teaching mm-hmm. during Hispanic Heritage Month. Two is how did you even get to that place of majoring in Spanish? Yeah. How did I, how did I get there is an interesting question. I went from failing out of Spanish in high school and not failing out, but it was the only C I got in high school was Spanish three. I just like, couldn't take it anymore. It felt like it was so meaningless. Um, and then like, even into college, I was like, I I need to take, like, you have to take a language course in college. And I was like, I might as well get it out of the way. And I might as well just do intro to Spanish to just like get a ton of credit and like wipe it out. And I got like a, like a B in that class. And it was like, could not have been an easier class. Um, and so that was like the point, that was like my low point of Spanish, but it all like came together. And I think that this is important for a lot of people is like the moment that you realize that Spanish is not just like a thing that you study in high school or college or middle school. It's like an actual language that has utility and, um, yeah, moving to Spain. I went to Spain and I was like, Oh my God, this is like so cool to be able to like have a language that like I can speak and can, I can communicate with the world. But even then I was still like not totally convinced. But when I got back to Colorado, like I um, worked at a, a Mexican food restaurant in Boulder called or Tex-Mex restaurant called uh, Juanitas. And it was working in the kitchen there that I was like, Oh yeah, this is like why this is an important moment because like this world is not just even in Boulder, which is like the whitest, um, like bubbliest place in the world. Right. Even there, it was like so important to like be like, Hey, look at, I can see the difference between me and some of these other people, the other, um, white people on staff at Juanita's. It's like, I like am able to create a relationship with, like another whole population that like I wasn't able to converse with. And like, we became like, I became friends, especially with one guy, um, Francisco who went by pinky and yeah, it just like opened up my world in ways that I was like, this is like this, the language is like a tool to create friendship. And I went, once that happened, it clicked for me. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of why language has been, a part of my life, even though we never, we rarely talk about it, but 
um, yeah, the idea that like we can heal this world a little bit and it's like Spanish especially is like the language of the activist, you know, because we, the, you know, the Latinx population is so oppressed in this country, not to say that other populations aren't, but it's like, like by speaking, by like lifting up the Spanish language, you can lift up like a whole population group in this country and one that's like needs that and is on the rise. So I'm like, I don't know. I like had this conversation. My, my team is me and two Latinx women. And they were talking about like wearing, there's this like, uh, this type of shirt that's called like bordeada, which means like embroidered. And they were like, Oh, you should wear an embroidered shirt. And I'm like, yeah, like, I just want to be aware of the fact, like, cause they're going to, you know, for Mexican independence day, that's like the traditional shirt that you would wear is like an embroidered shirt. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like a little weird about it. You know, it's not like necessarily my culture. And they were like, yeah, but like one of the women said, like, you know, if as I'm, I'm like a, when I was like a little brown girl, if I saw my white teacher dress up and like recognize the fact that like that is a like my male teacher dressing up in that would have just like, she said I would have felt seen in ways that like would have felt really good to me. And I was like, well, that's enough. Like if like, you know, it's all about like intention, right? A lot of times anyway, I feel like, and she's like, yeah, if you're like wearing a like, embroidered shirt to go out to Cinco de Drinco. Like that's, that's one thing, you know, but if you're wearing that to try and like see the, the kids in your class that are often not seen, especially in our culture and like to help empower and give voice. And that's a different thing entirely, you know? Um, yeah. So does that answer the questions, Bob? It does. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, great answer. I would just also put on there, um, yet getting the major in Spanish, did you, does that help you become a teacher as like a bilingual teacher? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I never would have been able to become a teacher if I wasn't bilingual in this city. I don't, I didn't go through like normal routes to become a teacher. Like I kind of fell into it. So I didn't actually have a educational background in it, which most people do. But, um, because of that, it's like, I was able to get, um, what's called an alternative teaching license. And the only schools that allow that in Fort Collins in particular, because there's such a wealth of teachers and because it's a pretty competitive market, because you get paid pretty well in this school district are the two bilingual schools, because it's like a, a skill that is harder to find. So, um, yeah, it like, there's definitely other ways to become teachers. Right. But like the way I did it was like pretty unorthodox and it needed, I needed to have a skill behind it. So I felt pretty fortunate. Like when I, a year or two ago, when I was looking to get into the alternative teaching license program so I could become a licensed teacher. Um, I, the only way I was able to do it was through bilingualism. So yeah, the like opportunities are like pretty infinite. Um, 
like, that's just like my story, you know, but I feel like being bilingual, I mean, being bilingual in Spanish and English is like pretty huge. Of course you are bilingual in, or maybe trilingual, but, um, you have such a strong German, but I feel like it's never gotten you anywhere. Would you say that that's true? Yeah. Yeah. It, where has it got me? No, I'm sure it's got me like places intellectually and made new connections and allowed me to understand history better, but definitely nowhere professionally. Yeah. I would say that's true. Yeah. With you, it's interesting. Like it sounds like going into college, Spanish was the last thing that you were ever going to major in. Um, and somehow things changed and that, that little, little knowledge of Spanish that you had, that little connection you had just bloomed and flowered and it became the thing. Um, not even overnight because you definitely went into, uh, training and farming and gardening and, you know, you took a lot of different turns, but it's the, it's like a, a, like you knowing Spanish is a cornerstone of you being a, a teacher in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, there were, I mean, you know, I, it's funny because I feel like education for me has always been like, I don't, I don't get behind it unless it's something that I can see why I should be learning it. Like, and it's like, pretty clear in general. Some people are able to like learn things, but I need to be excited to learn it. Otherwise it's just a waste of time and I'll just like do the bare minimum to get through it, you know? Um, and I think that that's probably more where like, I don't know if I'm Gen Y or if I'm like in what's called an older millennial, you know, but I feel like millennials in general are like much more apt to be like, I need to, like, I only want to learn this if it's going to be something that I want to learn if I'm passionate about it. Um, but I feel like generations before us would like you, for instance, you just love learning. So it didn't really matter as long as it was like something that didn't, you didn't need to be as excited about it. And I think that's, that's the Gen Xer in you, Bob. It's good to know. Yeah. I do feel like I'm on that cusp of those generations, maybe slightly more Gen X. Hey, can I, um, talk about something Gen X, Gen X with you? Totally switching the conversation. Um, yeah. you've been listening to a podcast called 60 songs that explain the nineties. And I just decided that it's time for me to get into that one. And I was trying to make some predictions before I even looked at the list. And I don't think there's, they haven't done all 60, have they? No, only 41. Yeah. I was like the number one song that I thought was on, was going to be on that list was Nirvana smells like teen spirit. And it's not on the list, which is like, how has that not been talked about? Is there any other of the, any other songs that you're like thinking of that like should be on that list? Yeah. I've got my good friends from the nineties, Chris Sawyer and friends of the show, Chris Sawyer and Ryan Sitzman yeah. listening to that podcast. And we, we chat about it. Um, and we've created a spreadsheet of songs that we think should be on that show. And that's definitely one of them. And nice. we, you know, I think it's gotta be at some point. I mean, they, they do talk about it actually a lot. You know, the, that, that song will probably get mentioned 
every other episode uh, almost. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's such a, it is the definitive song from the grunge scene. Am I wrong? Maybe a Pearl Jam Jeremy or something. Jer- yeah. Jeremy? Excuse me, Jeremy? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I think Smells Like Teen Spirit has got to be like the iconic song of grunge and they all, they've only done one other grunge song they've done, um, which is a song we had on this, this show, the, um, the song by Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it right now. How embarrassing. Um, you remember that song? We, we had it on a music episode. It's like Cornell yeah. and Eddie Vedder. Oh yeah. Uh, I do remember that episode. Friend of the show, Mike Bishop's gonna, gonna have me for this one. Yeah. Well, you better download it while I talk about Britney Spears, how she's not on the list, which is a travesty. I mean, I neither, there's no in sync, but I feel like you can, it's like, do you put on, we want it that way or bye, bye, bye. You get one or the other, right? Or I want it that way. Um, but I feel like, how could you not put on Britney? Like that defines teeny bopping to me. And there's no, it's like most iconic Britney, like sure you could say like genie in a bottle or candy, but like those were, those pale in comparison. No way. Yeah. There's going to have to be a Britney. There really is. Um, yeah. I'm sure they're going to do Britney because yeah, again, Britney's a person they talk about a fair, fair amount, but hasn't had their own, um, episode yet. So with 19 songs left, I think there's still room for a lot. Maybe just sending, saving some of the, the best ones for last or most iconic ones for last. Yeah. Yep. What was the band, Bob? The song? Oh, it's um, Temple of the Dog, Hunger Strike. Oh, yeah. yep. oh, interesting. Yeah. I also feel like you got to think about like coffee shop music and like something with like four non-blondes or like, because I feel like the nineties kind of started this idea of like, I mean, it was before the nineties, like Sears and JC Penney's, but I feel like Target and Starbucks is like the nineties, you know what I mean? And this idea of like going down to the Target, getting, getting your shop on and then heading over and meeting your friend for a pink drink at Starbucks. I just feel like you got to put on four non-blondes or like, my name is Luca. I live on the second floor or like, Maybe even just a friend's theme song, right? Yeah, those would all work. And um, do you remember that song, Wilson, or that band, Wilson Phillips? I feel like they're very, yeah, um, from, coffee from shop rock from Bridesmaids. Oh, I think so. Yeah, that's how I know them. I I didn't really know them, but I just like can like picture Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph singing t- with Wilson Phillips. You know, that's exactly right. You got it. Yeah. What's the name of that yeah, song that they sing? Is it, is it Hold On? Yeah. Hold on for one more time. <laughs> yeah. Put it in the spreadsheet. Yeah, I'm glad you're listening to it, Dave. It's, it's, oh, I'm not. I haven't listened to an episode. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> oh my God, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will. I'll get to it. <laughs> I've been um, going through and watching... Uh, listening to a similar one called the rewatchables where they watch movies that are and talk about movies and it's by the same podcast network called the ringer and 
once I get through all the good ones of that, then I'll go and start listening to the nineties, but I'm just going to critique it from afar right now. You know, <laughs> get some skin in the game, Dave. Oh man. Well, we better get to the big show and go for our topic of the day. Do you want to introduce it, Dave? Uh, no, I don't at all because I think we are, we have two divergent topics. Um, yeah, we do. We could do. Uh, so why don't you introduce what we're going to talk about? Either, I mean, this is the last episode of the season, but I did want to talk a little bit about um, just like pay inequality a little bit. So I'm down for both or either. What do you want to do? I I think we have to start with ending the season. Yeah. Um, Just for our listeners to tie things up and then, um, yeah, we'll we'll see where we're at. A full episode of pay inequality seems important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Bob. So yeah, this has been a, a pretty long season. I feel like, uh, time-wise, would you agree with that? Yeah. Big time. Huge. Um, we, it's just been a little bit slower in general and mostly because we have been working on beyond X's and O's a little bit and we've been just taking a little bit more breaks because we needed to, but yeah, I feel like this this season really started way back in June, I believe, or maybe even into like May, which is like it's lasted the whole summer. Um, yeah, and I'll just read a quick some of the stuff we talked about was I mean, this is all about like another world is possible, and we talked about some examples of that with the Zapatistas and the Occupy movement. Um, we talked about art, we talked about sports, uh, we talked about, oh yeah, we talked about reform versus revolution and credit card hack. And yeah, I think one of our bigger episodes was the list idea and talking about the things that we've done in our own life to make a better world possible or another world possible. Um, and to kind of live that. Yeah. Uh, you're right. It has been the whole summer. We really got to like dig in. I've really enjoyed the topic. Maybe one of my favorite topics that we've done. And yeah, those lists, I'll just rehash them. Your list was unplugging from the world, connecting to the earth and giving to back to the community in some way. Anyway, my list was find a radical documentary and watch it even better. Watch it with friends. Two, if you don't have kids, support parents and help with childcare. Three, go to a demonstration. And so with those lists and just thinking about all the episodes, I came up with like a similarity that I wanted to get your take on and we can like apply it to the rest of the episodes. But like um, our lists have some similarities. And the first thing is they both sort of say you need to stop with the flow of the dominant consumer culture into your mind, like that there's this notion that we're so plugged in and we're getting like bombarded by the consumer culture and just, you know, through our cell phones, but in many other ways as well. And we need to like stop that. If we're, if we're in that, we're not going to be dreaming about another world. So I like that we both had something on that too. Find inspiration, whether it be in nature, radical education, or direct action. So, yeah, I think like there has to be something that sparks this notion of a 
another world being possible and that inspiration, that, you know, creative juice. Um, and it really feel like it has to in some, some way come from outside the person, you know, it could be a spark within you, but it's also like bigger, bigger than the person. And then the last one is giving back to the community, like giving. And I think that's like the practice piece, like putting it in place, showing that the new world is possible. And and like, you're, you're really showing yourself as well. Like, ah, I'm doing something. Um, and giving back, I've mentioned has to be in like this mutual aid solidarity way, you know, where people are building egalitarian relationships that are mutual rather than like the, the charity way of like giving and then like, you know, going somewhere else. So yeah, curious to hear about how that, that resonates with you and then seeing if we can apply that to some of the other episodes. Yeah. I love that list, Bob. I like how that synthesis a little bit. I feel like for me, really, I like instantly started thinking about like life choices and like bigger life choices. Um, and I feel like, you know, we can talk about how like learning Spanish never worked until I, f- I found that inspiration, right? That spark. And part of that spark was the idea that I was able to like go against dominant culture of like the idea that people of color are less than in the United States. And it felt good to be like, Hey, this is like a way to like bridge community, right? Create a better world through that. And it all came together. And I mean, that wasn't the, I don't think that was the intention of the start of our show, but I kind of feel like in some ways that was like a pretty defining moment for me, right? Like (laughs) I think we often talk, think about when talk about, even on this show, like the idea of like, how do we become radicalized? You know, like what is the moment that is it like reading Karl Marx or is it like, you know, reading a scholastic book series or whatever? Like there's always these like little moments that lead to these bigger philosophical ideas. I, I don't know. I feel like since the move to Fort Collins, there's for me, I, Julie and I have talked a lot about, about like what, where do we find inspiration and like, it's really hard to fight the dominant consumer culture of like buy a house, get married, have seven kids or have 2.5 kids. And like to do that, you need to have like a job that's well-paying. That's like typically in the capitalist uh, mind frame. And so it's a struggle too, because, you know, there's still a lot of me that wants to be able to have that security that, you know, speaking of generations, the boomers were, were able to afford, you know, that security of the American dream. But I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways, as I've analyzed it, I feel like the job I'm currently working feels like it fits the bill in a lot of ways where it's inspirational and giving back and also using my skills to the best of my ability, which is important to me. So I'm not feeling like my talents go wasted. but I feel like those life paths are these questions that are really important to ask, right? Like if you're able to have, to find meaning in this world, it doesn't necessarily have to be around a job, but I think that these are important um, guiding questions to like the job that the way we earn money, the way we like spend our energy in this world. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just where I'm at right now, looking at that from the career perspective, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could look at it from a lot of different ways, but I do love that list, Bob. 
Nice, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Like that you took it to your job um, because you're a teacher. And I think teaching, learning is such a key aspect. We didn't necessarily go deep into it, but I think that, yeah, education is a huge part of another world being possible. And you can like explore ideas and they, you write the, the inspirations there. You know, when someone says something you never expected or, you know, does something it like the learning space is very dynamic. And so I'm with you there. When I think about teaching myself, the classroom space feels like that to me. For me, I, you know, it's just never long enough. The quarter system, like working with students for 10 weeks, just feels like you can plant a few seeds, but you really want to have them for longer if you're going to like build another world. Um, so that's always a challenge. I also think, think about my job. Um, my, my union is likely going on strike because of the university won't give us a contract that we, that's fair. And so we're planning, uh, like a beginning of the year, like picnic type event. And to get everyone back together, both the, the lecturers and the tenure track faculty who support us and going to that makes me really excited. It like has the, like the flavor of another world being possible because it reminds me of like the cola strike mm-hmm. of 18 months ago before the pandemic. Damn. Um, but I, I know that even like, you know, meeting with a lot of COVID protocol outside with masks is still in this Delta variant age, still risky, you know? So it's brings in these questions of like, you know, another world being possible and building that is hard enough, but then like we have to deal with like the pandemic, which makes it even harder. So my next question for you is there's so many challenges to building another world. Um, the pandemic, the terrible political situation uh, climate change being so urgent, um, the existence of Fox News and, you know, like how more than a quarter of the country believes in wild conspiracy theories and, uh, you know, all that, um, which makes another world being possible even more important. But what are your feelings on in this 2021 and all these challenges? How do we take that into account for? what we've b- built this season. Yeah, it, it is like, I mean, you're painting, you're painting the picture of a uh, despair, hopelessness. And I feel like it's pretty easy to just latch onto that and be like, yeah, I'm with you, Bob. We're done. <laughs> like it's well, even as you're listing that, I'm just like, yeah, that is true. Like we're, you know, we're just like one, like nuclear launch away from just like it all ending. And gosh, I just feel like we got to build it though. We got to keep taking like on a, like there's like the, the global level and the like individual level. And I feel like I want to keep taking the steps individually because I feel like if, if enough of us are doing that, it will just push in a way the like global mind frame. Right. And I'm not, I don't know exactly like if that's true. And I don't really believe that we have enough time. I feel like time 
has been out for a little while, you know, but I do feel that if we can just keep pushing individually at the very least, it will like tilt the scales in a good way. I don't know. Maybe that's wrong, but I feel like that's the mind frame that I've been taking over the last decade that I haven't really re-examined like too closely, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's the premise of the show in general, Bob, like us, like pushing a little bit on the scale to like, let people know that they're not alone out there and that we're all in this together a little bit. And we have no, like, we know that we're not like really, um, doing that much, but I feel like it takes many hands to lift this, lift these problems. Um, I don't know. What do you feel about it, Bob? Yeah. It's like, for me, there's no alternative, like doing another world is possible work is like, I'm dead without it. Like my life has no meaning without it. It gives me such joy and it's there. Yeah. You know, like I say, like teaching means a lot to me and the, yeah, of course the show means a lot to me and, um, going to that picnic, although not without risks is very exciting to me. So in and of itself, just another world work, even if it leads to absolutely nothing is worth it to me. Um, cause it's just very life giving and yeah, I mean like whether it will change the world, we don't know, but we do know that change can happen extremely quickly. Um, so and we just, we have no idea what the future looks like. Um, in terms of climate change, we know for sure the world's going to warm and there's going to be like continuation of pretty catastrophic stuff going on. Um, but that also doesn't mean full on collapse, nor does it mean full on, you know, unlivable world. Um, right. And same with peak so, oil and fossil fuels. Yeah. And even, I would even say like nuclear fallout, you know, like, I don't think there's like any one button that just like shuts it all down. Like, and I feel like there's hope in that. Right. Yeah. There's always hope when there's a chance. And I mean, you know, in overtime, when Michael Vick took that run 50 yards against the Vikings, that... Everyone said there's no hub. Yeah. And he did it. Video game Vic <laughs> did it again. <laughs> Sorry, had to go there. Um, no. Um, yeah. For you, what what is like the, if you had to pick out one singular challenge or attack on radical world building, what's one that really is challenging for you or you see as a big threat? To like this type of work? Boy, I think for me, the one that has been like, I've been permeating on a little bit is this idea. Like, I just feel really down about the idea of blue lives matter and anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers. Like that feels like, I'm not saying that that whole group is like always going to be unifiedly mixed together, but I feel like when you're hitting those three points, it feels pretty depressing to me. Um, that feels like a mind frame that's so fixed in a world that 
like the, in a world that's like, you're so, like someone that is that person is so tr- like has the veil pulled over their eyes and it's really hard for me. Um, and there's a lot of sadness that comes with that. So that's the challenge that I feel like that I fear the most. Um, I don't know if that quite answers your question, but it, I feel like that oh, yeah, is a does. challenge. No, I think that you? nicely articulates it. Yeah. I think pretty much the same in a sense, because like that group or like that, um, set of interests in society is very hostile towards radical world making. And it, like those people are mostly just pawns in the sense of like the deeper power is like Fox news and the structures that have created that type of ideology. You know, I think like individual people in that group are not my enemy, but like the power structures that creates that is, is, is super scary. Um, and yeah, I mean, it has everything to do with upholding white power in this country, you know, the threats to changing the world or like not the threats, but like the, the hope of a, a better world was possible in the sixties and seventies. And then all that stuff started coming in to try to crush it and it will, it'll stay with us into this next century. But I do think with the demographic shifts in the country and the younger generations being more open-minded overall, I don't know, like the terrain will shift. I don't know what that will look like because what you talked about, I think will always be a part of the United States um, in some sense, but hopefully it can be minimized. I don't know quite how, but you know, maybe through what we're doing here because like radical world making is for everyone, you know, it's for an anti-mask, anti-vax, blue lives matter person. Um, oh yeah. They just don't see it. In right. This and, and the change happens quickly too. Right. Like mm-hmm. I also don't want to say that I, I did like sort of name call and say that that is like a really fixed mindset that feels like pretty veiled and like, almost impossible to change. Right. But change is, you know, as Octavia Butler says, God has changed, you know? And I feel like, yeah, I don't want to just put anyone in a box, you know? And I don't, and I also agree that like this hypothetical person that we're thinking of is a victim of this in this, uh, the capitalistic society, just as much as or maybe not just as much, but as much, you know, they're a victim as well, you know, and they're like put in this like place where they're like, you know, living in fear. Um, anyway, yeah, I feel like it's for everybody and the work we do is for everybody. And really going back to it, it's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way either, Bob. Like this is the work that we've done in our lives has been, even if nothing comes of it, it feels like it's given me the strength to do the work that I've done. And that feels good to me. That's beautiful, Dave. Yeah. I think we can sort of end it here and I've actually have to get going to go to Santa Cruz and participate in the really, really free market, which is a nice um, example of building another world. And Perfect. 
Dave, I, I owe you a quick fix. Uh, I'll give you that quick fix episode one of our next season. Okay. I'll take an IOU on that one then, Bob. And I'll just hit up the coordinates on our Thriving in Dystopia. You made an Instagram post and that felt nice. Uh, thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. Get us on TikTok at Dave Peachtree, Gmail, or sorry, yeah, email is Dave Peachtree at gmail.com. Hit Bob up on Twitter, bmaze19. And visit the website from the mix, thrivingindystopia.com. What a good one. What a good one. Great one. Great one. All right, Bob. More later. Thank you for the season, Dave. Yeah. See you all next one. Bye. What's up, Thriving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. Our new outro song is Box Goldberg Variations, Variato 3 a 1 by Kimiko Ishizaka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>